Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Whew, welcome to another episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. We've got a race in the books for the 2022 season. And I feel like I feel like we wa- we all kind of walked away from that in shock in a lot of ways. But uh before we get into that, I'm with my co-hosts, Rowit and Todd. My name is Nick. This is the Exhaust Notes Podcast. If this is your first time checking us out, definitely check out some of the previous episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, guys, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic. It's uh, race week. The season's back. Got up bright and early and 100% worth it. Also, shout out to the... Uh, the Discord, we got together a few people in there. I think we had five or six at one point, all watching, uh, watching and chatting, chatting about the new, new season. Once the post into that thirty-three million, I'm going to remind everybody every episode. No, it was really good. We were in LA uh, this weekend and at a wedding, so I did what us industry types do. I plugged the podcast as much as I could. So hopefully, we get a couple new listeners. So thank you in advance, but. Unfortunately, I couldn't join the Discord, but man, this was probably as appealing of an appetizer as we could get because there's a lot of chaos that's happening and nobody can make head or tails of it. Yeah, it was it was quite something. Uh, yeah, the the Discord voice chat was was popping pretty nicely, and the the Formula One channel was actually really like just flowing the entire the entire race basically, which was really cool. Um. But to your 33 million, Rowan, uh, Sneaker History Podcast listeners will know who Gregatron is, and he watched his first Formula One race of his entire life this weekend. So he was also in the chat, uh, in the Discord. So make sure you join. The link will be at the top of the description wherever you're taking this in. But it's a good time, and uh, I think we're going to do a lot more of that as the season continues. Also, get you a friend like Gregaton, because at the end of the day, Gregatron, sorry, whatever I do, whatever Nick does, whatever Todd does, whatever Mike does, whatever Robbie does, there's no bigger champion outside of our immediate family and friends than one Gregatron. So thank you as always, Greg, for hyping us up even when we don't deserve it. Absolutely. Thank you for the support, Greg. Champion among men. Speaking of champions, guys. How about that? Do we think that's a championship hangover or what do we want to even get into? Because there's so much to dissect in this race. Yeah, that was, well, uh, I mean, I think we should start kind of like we were talking in, in the pre-show. Maybe if you want to, if you guys want to give your feelings on the new regs, how it felt, how you um, perceive the cars on track, the battling, et cetera, et cetera. I'll go ahead and start. I mean, I am probably the novice out of the three of us in terms of just over hours, overall hours watched in Formula One. But I will say this, there felt like there was hope today in the sense that, especially in the first four or five laps, it was pandemonium in the best way. I mean, we saw a couple of incidents. I think Ocon took out Schumacher right at the start of turn one, but he served a five-second penalty. But for the most part, this race kind of felt very free-flowing. Like the best way I can describe it is we've all watched professional basketball or ice hockey, and we notice when there's a good flow of the game that isn't even hampered by commercials. This is how it felt. There was very seamless energy towards it, and we got to see a little bit of everything. I think for me, probably the best thing to watch was the cat and mouse game 
played by Charles Leclerc on Max Verstappen. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the most entertaining parts of the race for me, just because, you know, Leclerc and Ferrari have had probably the most impressive past couple of months throughout the offseason. And on the other side of that, everyone has anticipated that Red Bull was just going to dominate for the most part, with with the exception of maybe, you know, like Todd and I thinking that Lewis is going to come out, you know, with something to prove. But it it was it was like really awesome to see I think Leclerc not get into it. Like he's obviously getting into he's racing. Like it was hard racing, right? But you could tell that Max, you know, and I, I kind of go back to this all the time with Max. You can you can just tell that he gets into his head. People get into his head, right? And he's very vocal about his, you know, feelings. And with Leclerc, it seemed like it seemed like he he was level headed throughout the whole thing, right? It it was one of those things that I think it, that probably is worse for Max, right? Like that probably pisses Max off even more in a sense, and that's a weird kind of uh, it's just it's just cool to watch in one one hand, you know, whether you're doesn't matter which which driver you're a fan of, in my opinion, even right? It's it's two totally different styles, right? Max is just like full send. I'm going get out of the way. He's pissed that you're in his way, even though he can't actually pass you. He's still pissed that you're in his way. And Leclerc seemed just so like just steady as a rock through that whole back and forth. You know, it was like there was a couple times where like, you know, there were questions as to like if Ferrari could pull it off with like the pit strategy. Right. And then it was like, oh, did they undercut? But at the end of the day, to me, it just was like so cool to see. Like, I'm not a Ferrari fan, but I think that Ferrari being at the top or near the top is great for the sport. And to throw that onto this new generation of cars, generation of rules, and all these new fans that are coming in from Drive to Survive that are now seeing another team become successful in the midst of all of this stuff, you know, like if you're a new fan to Formula One in the last two to three years, you've seen three different teams, team drivers win a championship, right? Or not, not three yet, but like assuming Ferrari, you know, kind of lives up to this throughout the season, you're potentially seeing the possibility of three different teams winning in, in just three years. And I know that Mercedes won the constructors, but to me, that is like the most enjoyable time of Formula One, right? Like it got to a point in the last eight years that we just default to like Lewis and Mercedes winning. So let's just, let's just watch the mid midfield and, and, you know, cheer for our teams in the midfield. And we'll, we'll just, we'll just count three through 10, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's a, oh man, there's so much to talk about there. Like the, the battle between, I guess I'll focus on that point because the battle between Charles and Max, when they were literally passing each other for like two or three laps in a row, Max would get the pass done at turn one. Charles would come back and get the pass back done on turn four. And that continued for like three laps when they had just changed tires. They were just fighting each other, chewing through those tires. Oh man, that was, that was exciting. And it was so great to see that there was, as you mentioned, Nick, like having Ferrari back, they're like, 
I hate to say this, but they're like the Yankees of Formula One. They've been around forever. They're the most successful team. I don't know if the Yankees still are, but I'm assuming they are. Um, but the, it's when they're good, Formula One is good. Um, and I think going back to my uh, initial question, like I, I, I think that the regs from early impressions, and again, I think we have a few races until we figure that out, but I think that the regs kind of did their job. The opening couple laps were a lot closer than you would normally see. Maybe you would get a lot of close racing for the first lap for the first, you know, five, six, seven corners. And then the field starts to spread out when the pace difference kicks in, but they were going two, three wide into several corners, even on the second lap. And it was, there was obviously two different classes still, which we saw with the end result and the time Delta time difference. Uh, but it was just, I mean, intensity, intensities, like there was so much happened in that race and I'm sure we'll get into it, but. Yeah. I think the other part to me was after the race, hearing all the drivers kind of talk about, you know, understanding what the cars do differently now that they've had like an actual competitive racing. Right. Because I think it was Kevin Magnuson who, you know, finished fifth for Haas, which is, you know, nobody would have bet that, you know, a month or two ago. Right. It was like Haas has gone through so much drama in the last two months with sponsors and drivers and all that stuff. You just would not expect somebody to hop in the car and be able to compete at that level. But he was super consistent. But he talked about, um, you know, essentially like the cars are not as fast and they don't pass as easily. It's more, it, it it's, he's like, it's, it's different. It's better, but it's just different. It's not, it's not like I can just pass somebody the way I did before with, you know, uh, curves or whatever. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, the, the talk about, pa about passing specifically has always been like a, a talking point from formula one for the past, you know, ever since the rule changes were unveiled, right? We want to make it easier to pass. And I don't think that that, you know, obviously it's early in all of this. We won't even know most of the results of this kind of these rule changes until we get three or four more races in at least. But the, f the perception to me is that the cars aren't actually better at passing. They're just closer together. And they're, they're all, you know, like to your point, right? Like you're seeing them all bunched up in all these groups and essentially it was cut up into like almost like three separate groups for a while there where it was like, okay, you know, like the, the top five, six, seven drivers, the, you know, seven through 15, and then like the, the kind of like the bottom end. And, um, it, I think it's going to be an insane, awesome year of racing. I, like that race to me. And just the the wild cards that you could look at and think like, like, you know, you mentioned like Esteban Ocon having a, a penalty still finished seventh. Like you would not expect the Alpine to, to finish seventh, especially with being the only car on the that, that ended up with a penalty this race. Right. And to me, that's the craziest part is like just a matter of time before the the the, the lower tiered teams on this race get it figured out. And, and that bunch in the middle is a huge majority of the cars on track, in my opinion. 
for a minute. I I'll say this: if we go back to a previous episode where we all had to give some scalding hot takes and predictions, one of my predictions is done because I said Haas Williams and I think it was Alfa Romeo will not score a single point this year. And guess what? Alfa Romeo and Haas got points. So it might just be Williams in the way Alex Albon did today. I don't think it would be a surprise to see him in the points in a couple of races. This also, I feel, would be something very akin to what we see in the NBA right now, where as much as people com- uh, complain about, you know, there are too many threes and there's too much this and there's too much that, there is a clear consensus that this is probably the most skilled that that league has ever been. And I would almost feel that that's the sentiment we're going to get coming off of this season because, yes, everybody's bunched up closer together. And then that's where we see the nuances of racing. We see who truly is the last of the late breakers. We see who can use their mind the way Charles Leclerc can. We can see who can put in a shift. And it is going to be interesting to see because I think the Haas thing to me is the biggest wild card that came out of this weekend because we all assumed they would be the laughing stocks that they were. But that was as smooth of a transition back. And Mick Schumacher still almost got into the points. It just lost at the very end. So I'm sure Gunther Steiner is happy as pig and shit right now because this is Haas from three years ago, four years ago, before this Netflix scourge even came into his life. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad we got onto the Haas topic. And and Nick, you mentioned him earlier uh, when you were saying your piece. Like, I got worried early for K-Mag because when he came out after that first pit stop, he immediately overshot turn one. I think in the first the first two laps after the pit stop back to back he overshot turn one and i'm like "Ooh, k mag's not used to these brakes the you know the cars as we're talking about the regulations have changed and and the cars act very differently now they're not as good on the brakes they're heavier they're the when you slow down you lose downforce downforce means you have less brakes or less downforce means you have less brakes so um i i was I didn't. I said this in the in the the chat earlier, but I didn't expect myself to be because I'm a kind of a notorious Haas hater just because of the clown world operations that have been going on there for the past five six years. But I didn't expect myself to be this ecstatic about Haas doing well. I was so pumped for for the Haas team and K Mag coming back in and getting what do you P seven I think in the end um, P five and yeah as oh was it P five P five okay. Um, and as, as Rohit just mentioned, uh, uh, Schumacher almost into the points after Ocon spun him and he was dead last, I believe is, is amazing. And I think the thing that we're, this race felt a little bit processional kind of in the middle stint. Like it was just line of cars going around the track, not, not a ton of action going on, but some drama with the pit stops and stuff. But then and I'm not going to skip ahead, but we're, we got the best ending ever. Uh, Rohit, what? Bless Red Bull's heart. You know, they tried. I mean, actually, you know what? I feel really bad because Checo Perez was trying to right the ship at the very end. And there was just something very tragic comical about that spin. I was waiting for somebody to cut it up on with a Celine Dion, my heart will go on as soon as that spin started to happen. But before we get it too ahead of ourselves, I wanted to use this opportunity to kind of do a recurring segment where the newbie asked you guys a question. So the thing that was most interesting to me coming into the race was Crofty and Brundle did this segment, lack of a better term, around what they thought the predicted 
pit stop strategy would be. And they both called this out as a two stopper. So then as we were going through the course of this race, it kind of evolved into the sense that everybody thought, hey, 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 we, because we don't know this, we don't know the new regulations, we don't know the new tires, it's a new track, it's a new dawn, it's a new day. Could this be a feasible three-stop race? And I think initially the tenor in the actual race commentary was, oh, don't be ridiculous. But as the results went on and on, it felt more and more practical. So I guess to you guys, how does that feel? Because I'm always conditioned to think a, right, a race car driver is more successful the less pit stops he has. But today, I was very impressed with everybody that did the three-stop strategy. I mean, I think the pit strategy is really fascinating. Because ultimately, like, that's where the teams, no matter how close they are, you know, on the stopwatch, that's the the real difference, right? Like, we've seen it for, we've seen it year after year where a, a team can, you know, kind of play to their advantage or, or outsmart the other competitors. I mean, Mercedes definitely didn't have the best car every race out last year or the year before. but they definitely had some really strategic pit stops that I think put them on, on the podium or, or, you know, even at the top of the podium. But I think the interesting thing about these cars to, to the conversation around how it's all new and, you know, like Todd mentioned about Kevin Magnuson and, and the brakes. I mean, you saw, you know, you saw almost every driver go a little too hard into a corner at some point or another. George Russell did, you know, yesterday uh, in qualifying pretty heavily and like, you know, just kind of kind of ruined his last qualifying run. Right. But to me, that's all that's all the, the new stuff. Right. Th these guys just don't quite have the feel for it. And that's because the car is heavier to Todd's point. That's because, you know, the ground effects are great for downforce when you're moving. But when you're slowing down, you're you're losing, you know, traction, like just from the fact that you're slowing down, right? Like that's a weird thing to have to deal with when you've been dri driving a completely different style of car for the last seven, eight, nine years. And I think that's the, you know, that's like the challenge that we're seeing, but that's also like the, the like solidifies in my mind, just how great of a driver all of these guys really are because if the average, per, it, you know, I would say this is probably something similar to someone getting into like an, an you know, uh, I don't know, like a Corolla or something and then hop into, a, you know, a Skyline or something that just is like you can't possibly know all the differences between those cars the first time out. And these guys haven't really driven much. Right. They've had what less than a half dozen times in these cars you know, practices and, and everything leading up to this. So to me, like the pit stop stuff is, is going to be the most fascinating throughout the year. But I think this, I, I mentioned it, you know, before we started recording, this really felt like a practice session because people were just figuring things out throughout the, the, the entire race. And I think to, you know, kind of, I guess, go a little bit further into that, like, you know, it, like Kevin Magnuson, uh, Nico Hulkenberg, like these guys haven't even been in the cars for, you know, more than a couple days, if that, right. So all of this is really kind of new to, to everyone in a sense, because 
again, like Max Verstappen's, you know, battle with, with Leclerc, right. You know, he, the, you just heard the radio them saying, you know, chill, like easy on the brakes. Like we don't, you know, we don't know if the, if this is going to work and sure enough, like, you know, those are the things that I think lead to what we saw at the end where like you end up breaking something else in the car. Obviously like you're not going to have that direct tie, but like when you're driving a car really hard and you, you know, disregard the normal kind of thought process around it because you're trying to pass somebody repeatedly around the track, you're, everything's getting hotter. Everything's getting just like putting under more stress, you know, like the, all the things that like are just supposed to be going normal for your race for 57 laps are now like taking on the stress of another five or 10 laps, at least in those situations, because you're just pushing so hard. So, I mean, I think that's like going to be a really interesting thing because like the tires, the brakes, obviously the, the whole, all of the changes are so new that, that all of those things uh, just potentially throw every strategy that you thought you had out the window, because it just might not make it to that strategy or something might happen in between. And the last thing I'll say about this is I think it was, I think it was, uh, might've been Ocon that they said that the car was too hot to pit. They had to cool the brakes down. So he had to take another lap to, to get to the pits. Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg. was like, what? That's wild. Hulkenberg. They said he had to take another lap to cool down. Yeah, I think the Nick, you already covered a lot of it. Like this rule change was a complete rewrite of the entire regulations. Like the cars, it's not like they, you know, changed the front wing and the rear wing and then the rest of the cars the same. They got rid of everything. This is a complete aerodynamic philosophy difference. But on top of that, they're also using not only a different size tire at 18 inch versus 13 inch. So there's less sidewall, completely different compound. But the, 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 what you call it? The like driving windows for the tires supposedly Pirelli, Pirelli changed as well. So the big one of the biggest surprises, and I had it in my notes here. The biggest surprise to me was tire warm up because after Hamilton's first pit stop, he looked like he was driving on ice at, at coming out of the pits there and almost got passed by I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but like a much slower car that was you know. He he eventually got his tires fired up pretty quickly, but th they're on the path to get rid of tire blankets completely. And so we have this brand new tire in tire blankets that are at a lower temp. They they lowered the temps across the board and they're on their way to not having any tire blankets. Like it's going to be chaos at every race once we get through all of these. I think another changes. thing that was that is really interesting, like if you've ever driven a car like a, a car with stock wheels on it and put big wheels on it or bigger wheels. I shouldn't say big wheels, but like, you know, if you, if you took your Honda from like 14 or 15 inch stock wheels to like 17 or 18 inch wheels, or if you did the, you know, like a 16 inch wheel on a, on a, you know, like an, an Audi or a Subaru and went to an 18 or a 19, it feels like you're on skates. Like that for, it takes a while to get used to that. If you don't have really great tires specific for the street and like, you understand it. I could see how people could have like real problems driving like that. And th I say that because that's a, the equivalent of what they're, they're, you know, going from is to Todd's point, a 13 inch wheel with insanely meaty 
soft tires. If you go back and look at like slow-mo footage from last season or any season before, you can see the grip of the tire. You can see the sidewall crush a little bit when they take off and launch from the, from, you know, the pit or from, you know, obviously you need like really, really beautiful slow-mo shots to see that. But like now you don't even have that, you know, like a, an 18 inch wheel, they have just minimal amounts of, of sidewall, right? Like this is almost just like a, a crazy streetcar wheel with relatively no tire. And I think the other thing that that adds to is like porpoising and, and all of that, right? Like they don't have the cushion that they, that they had from those tires. Cause those tires give so much previously, cause there's a lot of tire to, to, to give. Right. And without it, it's, you know, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. It, it, you know, I, I just don't think they've had enough time out in these cars, especially pushing the cars to the limit. Right. You know, essentially you have, you know, what, two and a half hours or so today from the race. And then you have, you know, depending on the team, you have another 20 minutes of, of pushing the car for qualifying on Saturday. The rest of the time, you're really not pushing the car to its limits. So to Todd's point, I mean, it was wild to see, Lewis Hamilton, like sliding back and forth, you know, spinning, uh, not, not spinning out, but like you could just see him trying to figure out how to get grip in the tires because they're just not hot enough. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I have hesitation around that, that whole moving away from tire blankets because tire blankets basically wrap the tires between races, between, you know, on track stuff. So if the car's in the pits or even, in the start lane, the blankets keep the tires up to temperature as much as possible. Right. And without them, you know, we're already seeing with them, it's, it's running super, you know, super slick and hard for hard to find traction. So I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, there's so many strategies that are going to have to be developed throughout this first five, six races. But that's also one of the best things about this season is there's 23 races, the most of we've ever had in a season. And I think we're just going to see a lot of people trying different things and figuring things out. And, you know, like, I don't know, it's kind of the, the, you know, the gearhead mentality of just like drive it until you break it and then figure out how to fix it. Right. Like there's just going to be a lot of that. Yeah. There's uh the, one thing I, I, I wanted to touch on real quick was the mechanical sympathy thing you just mentioned, Nick. Like, that's part of potentially why, we don't know for sure, uh, part of potentially why um, there were some struggles uh, on several cars with brake temps. Uh, you know, Max being one of them. Hulkenberg, like you mentioned, had to take an extra flying lap and do a lot of lift and coast to cool his car down. And, um, I think like it's, I don't know if we're going to have the type of convergence that we typically do this year that we're nor used to seeing, like everybody's still figuring out their own car instead of trying to say like, how can we make our car a little bit more like the best car? You know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how many races it actually takes for my blessed team papaya. We haven't touched on them at all yet, but you know, rough day in the office. I didn't want um, to bring it up. But it was rough. <laughs> yeah, it's not a 
we'll get there. But um, it, 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 I, I, I don't think we're going to have – they're going to know what they're doing like six races in. And normally the teams have their cars pretty well figured out six races into the season, and they're working on development parts or, you know, a big development before the summer break. So anyway, Rohit. Maybe we lost him. You know, I guess it's a better, it's good as time as any to rip the bandaid off. To man. Talk about Team Let's Papaya and their struggles. That was disheartening. So, like one of my first notes on here, and this is probably within the first three laps, is McLaren's race pace looks even worse than their quality pace, which is was staggering to see because. All signs pointed to them being like at very least a strong midfield contender. And they started with just the Danny Rick had an abhorrent start, just dropped to he was 18th, I think, after three, four laps, I something like that. I don't know, if maybe I'm remembering it harsher than it was, but Danny Rick was nowhere to be found. Lando was trying his best, but I didn't seem like the car could keep the tires alive there. They looked like just dogs in the corners. Um, wow. Did they, are they the new Haas? Are they the new laughing stock? Because God, it's just not looking good over there. No, I mean, I think they might've body swapped with Haas because that was as pedestrian of a run as I've seen from McLaren. And that's something we haven't said in close to half a decade. I mean, it hasn't been this wildly inconsistent or downright disappointing since uh, Fernando's last year with him. And to your point around Lando, I think Lando is young. Like I'm not worried about Lando, but this goes back to the talking point we had last episode where it's like Danny Rick, Formula One driver, question mark. And granted, maybe drive to survive is still fresh in my mind, but this was not necessarily reassuring to say the least. He'll figure it out. He's too good to not put up a fight. But at the same time, this was bad. And it goes to the point that I think Mick, you had mentioned, and sorry, I was dealing with things off camera, but at the same time, it almost feels like this season is where you took a hyperactive eight-year-old and told him, go nuts with the sliders, do whatever you want. And we'll let the drivers figure it out on their own. Like both of you were saying, and yeah, right now we've gotten the simulated lottery results of a Haas in fifth and McLaren 20th and 17th. It may not be that in the long run, but this is kind of interesting because this is almost the perfect entry point for new fans that have gone through four seasons and want to see what the hype is about. And they're being rewarded right now because all hell is breaking loose. Nobody knows what's up, what's down. And it really will come down to drivers that can just make the least amount of mistakes. And I think that's what Charles did today as well. It's like, I thought that was as flawless of a race as I've seen him run. But then on the other side of the thing, how are we going to react when we see that Danny Rick looked pedestrian in a way that I haven't seen him before? Because say what you will about him, he drives with that enthusiasm, but I almost felt he was too muted at the end. Like he was almost resigned to the fact that, oh no, I've kind of sucked again. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think really like the team as a whole has a lot to figure out. I think that's the, it's, it's just that, it's more that Danny and Lando both wear their heart on their sleeve, you know, uh, much like Yuki and, and Gasly and, you know, the guys that we like, right? Like we, we love seeing those guys in their, in their moments of Zen. But when, 
shit hits the fan and you find yourself at the end of the pack. I mean, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be hard, especially to Todd's point. Like I think they felt midfield, you know, like I would, I mean, hell I put them on, you know, my fantasy leagues, you know, like I was depending on them thinking that they would, they would, you know, pull through and like, okay, cool. They had a few kinks here and there throughout, you know, practice and, and all that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. And, and I guess like, this is a good, a good time to kind of transition that conversation because one of the things that is just mind blowing is that you have, you know, Valtteri Botas moving from Mercedes to Alfa Romeo finishing sixth, uh, essentially behind, you know, Kevin Magnuson and, and the two Mercedes cars, but then, uh, Joe Guan Yu finishing 10th in the points in his very first race. Right. And I don't think any of us would have expected that, you know, like it, we were definitely thinking he's going to need some time to get used to this, but he actually drove really, really well. Like, I was like blown away in a sense, not that I was doubting his driving ability, but like the alpha hasn't been a car to be reckoned with for a while. Right. Like it's been middle bottom of the field for the last couple of years. And now we're kind of seeing like all the cars that have Ferrari power plants or you know, power plants, <laughs> power units um, are like significantly more competitive than the Mercedes cars right now. And that's, and the, you know, the, and the Red Bull, right? Like, um, I don't know. That's a really interesting thing to, 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 you know, almost have everything flipped on its head from what we knew from last season in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you both, like what your biggest overreaction coming out of this race, if you had to come up with one, because for me, it was the fact that, I expected some sort of hangover, but my goodness, like that was petulant from Max in a way I've never seen before. And I could have sworn that if he had a cool, cooler, calmer demeanor, he would have been able to make something out of that race. But it was just like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm over this. And I'm wondering, is the pressure getting to him? And it's already race one because the way I'm looking at it from a big picture perspective, I would still expect that if you ask Red Bull who their biggest rivals into this race are, it would be Mercedes. And then at the same time, that was probably as anonymous of a race as I've seen Lewis Hamilton run, and he still ended up with a podium. And George Russell was right behind him. Like Mercedes almost won just by showing up today, which is saying something. Because they have been the most dominant force in this sport for the last decade. And it was not a banner day for them. Because to your point, I think it was you, Todd, that said Lewis was slipping and sliding as if he was a baby deer on ice at one point. And, you know, we kind of made fun of Toto wearing a black turtleneck and saying everybody's got a target on their back. Well, I thought for the first half of this race, they weren't even bringing a grape to a gunfight because they were that inept, it seemed, or that ineffective. I wouldn't say inept, but they were pretty ineffective. Yeah, I think they just need – they have so much to learn about their own car. But the I, – I think there's a couple of – overreactions I want to react to there. One, I think Max, right? Nick, you said earlier, or no, I think it was Rohit said earlier that Leclerc was kind of just cool as a, cool as a cucumber, just like reacting to things, really like calm and collected in the battles that they had for those few laps. Um, 
I think he's, you know, I think it's proven to be that the, I don't know if the Ferrari's the best car, probably the best power unit we, we, we said. Although I did see a stat earlier that the highest speed trap recorded in the race was max in the Red Bull. So maybe it's a little less draggy and the Ferrari's a little bit better in the corners, whatever it is. But fastest car, I don't know, I guess it's still the Red Bull on that track, at least on this day. But the other um, thing I want to say about Max is like he's just he gives me Lauda vibes. And I mean that in the sense that like if you've watched Rush, like that, I think that I can't remember that actor's name, but he played that character really well. Like Lauda is a just there you go. Uh, just a non no BS kind of guy. Like he'll give it to you straight, whether that's positive or negative. He's going to give it to you straight. He doesn't doesn't get necessarily overexcited about things. And I think Nick, it was you in the stream that mentioned like uh, how, like we always joke about how Yuki sounds on the mic and is like super aggressive and cursing all the time. Max. And then, you know, maybe he learned that from Max, but Max has always been that guy. He sounds kind of aggressive and kind of an a-hole and whiny on the, on the mic, but like we could flash back to last year and we have Lewis the same way. The other overreaction I want to point out, I think, is is McLaren being the new Haas, which I think I was the one that just called that out. But they look really bad. However, they have a very talented or like team of people there. Just two weeks ago in Barcelona, they looked like a strong midfield contender, maybe fighting Ferrari. So maybe they just need a couple of races to get it under their belts and not have uh, you know, practice schedules plagued with break issues or or whatever. So I don't want to say that they're fighting for tenth right now, but it definitely needs yeah, reaction think... feels that way. So so Danny Rick finished fourteenth, Lando finished fifteenth, right? And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were definitely. Those, I mean, I mean, you've right. got we'll three, get on to three that DNS later, from Red or two two DNS from Red Bull and one from AlphaTauri. So you you move up three points, three places each. But I will say that, you know, I mean, Danny Ricardo was out with with COVID, right? So like he did, he wasn't even getting car time. On top of that, Lando is taking on more car time. You know. Not to say that you would be tired from driving, you know, three full days of, of, you know, testing, but like, it's just not your, your normal, like approach. Right. And as you've seen, if you watch drive to survive with the, the Yuki Tsunoda episode routine is everything for these guys, right? Like it is absolutely, you know, they are programmatic the way, you know, uh, our, our usage of the internet is right. They need to have the routine, the food, the, you know, like it's very much like, you know, getting in the right mental space, getting in the right physical shape and all of those things have to be in place for them to like actually perform. And I think to, to the McLaren conversation, like I, I, I definitely don't think that we'll see them at the, at the bottom of the field. I think that the team itself is, you know, it's, it's like if you just started to to race and and had all these things happen just going into testing and and the first race of the season and like yeah shit happens sometimes you know um i do think that uh i guess my uh my overreaction would be uh honestly like i think 
I mentioned this in, in the chat, um, in the discord, but I think every car looks incredibly beautiful, like way more than I ever thought they did when we saw them unveiled. I don't know if it's just the lights in Bahrain, the night light, the, the night race type of thing, but literally every car, although there are a few things that like, you know, we talked about in the chat where it was like, uh, that's kind of weird, but like every car looks so gorgeous to me through this race that I was just like almost dumbfounded by it. I felt like a kid, like just discovering formula one for the first time again, you know? Yeah, this is definitely sport that rewards itself by being displayed in high definition because my God, the colors are so vibrant and yeah, it truly felt like poetry in motion, especially when you do those super slow-mo shots that we were talking about earlier, I think with regards to tire degradation. So at the same time, it's interesting to me because I am a curious sort and I was looking at the standings right now and the constructor standings in particular are so unique because I've never seen anything like I've never seen anything like that where we have Haas at in third place with 10 points, which is the highest they've ever been in a formed table. So there you go. USA, USA. I can hear Todd <laughs> Yates chanting that even though his mic is muted, but at the same time, there is jarring. There is a jarring nature to the fact that Red Bull, AlphaTauri, Aston Martin, and Williams are all scoreless. And we would expect three of those teams to score in some capacity, but even the likes of Aston Martin, who are without their number one driver today, I don't know what Seb could have done because I am really interested to see this midfield battle because I don't think it's going to be as exciting. I think the excitement this year will be at the top portion of the table. So that's my overreaction is just... Midfield for once isn't going to be the thing I almost focus on immediately. It's going to be, can Ferrari keep this up? What does this sleeping giant of a Mercedes team look like? And is the implosion real or is this just the last sign before the inevitable race to form, if you will, of Max Verstappen and Checo for Red Bull? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I was, you can't see it, but I was signaling to all aboard the hype train of Haas because holy hell, they're P3 and the constructors. Man, that is such a wild stat that they're... So we had Ferrari, Ferrari, Mercedes, Mercedes, and then Haas, and they're P3 and the constructors above the likes of Red Bull, uh, you know, Aston Martin. And I think going back to like the overreaction things quickly... Ever since the beginning of testing, I think kind of all of the general F1 media is saying like, ooh, Aston doesn't look good. And I don't think Seb could have done any better. I think Hulk got everything he could out of that machine. But like, man, I, I could really see them fighting for last place this year because every car, even the Williams, even Latifi, who was fighting all these other teams that shouldn't be at the bottom, was like looked looked like he was having – you know, an easier time with the car than, than anybody on, on the Aston team. No, one so. quick point I was going to make, I was just looking at last year's constructor standings. The thing that jumps out, Haas Ferrari, zero points scored. They've already hit 10 points in the first race. And then even more impressive in some regard, Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari, 13 points last year. They're at nine. So we are starting to see the great middle class evolve in Formula One. And I'm, I for one, am here for it because now we truly get to see who are the true racers of the world. Because 
so often because we were also kind of bombarded with this. The initial part of this race is this is a new dawn. It's a new day. This is the new era. Well, the previous era, everything was characterized by the car. The car was almost too good. If you want to be a loose Hamilton hater, that's your biggest asterisk is the fact that anybody in that car could have been an eight-time world champion. It, it's not going to be like that, it seems. And granted, it's just one race that's a small sample size. It's probably the smallest sample size any of us can ever hope for. But at the same time, indications are this is looking good. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like I said, it's just it's exciting to to think about and, you know, anticipate the, the rest of this season because – One, I like all the teams that are out there. You know, like I, I don't have a team that I don't want to see at least get some level of success. You know, maybe that was, you know, Maz's spin before, but at this point, like, you know, I even even like today, right? Like I'm I'm definitely not rooting for for Red Bull. Um, but I don't I like I want to see Checo get some wins. Like, I think he is a great driver. He's in a great car in theory. He should be up there, but like, you know, it's, it's tough to see any team have issues that take them completely out of the conversation. Right. Especially when it's right at the end of the race. Like that's really, that's really disheartening, but it makes for an interesting, you know, like the reliability part of, of, you know, things moving forward. And I kind of alluded to this in like conversation today. Um, Honda being like the, the power unit for Red Bull for the last few years, you know, like they became incredibly reliable, like at Mercedes level or higher, even like, I, I wouldn't, I would love to see somebody actually stat statistically show which, which was more reliable. I've got an easy one for you. Mercedes or Hamilton, at least, took six, seven power units last year. Verstappen took three, and only because one was wrecked at Silverstone, like when he hit the wall at 170. So they would have had their allotment of two per season. Yeah, and Hamilton took six or seven. And, and I think that that translates to to obviously to the AlphaTauri team. Both those cars were really, really reliable. You know, aside from Yuki learning, you know, when to push harder and when to, t to, to, you know, kind of keep a level head. But what's interesting about that, there was a lot of, there was a lot of people that called it the Honda power units. Right. And it is Honda, but it's not right. It's like Red Bull took over this, this, you know, kind of manufacturing setup from Honda, but Honda is not directly involved in the same sense, right? Like they took a lot of the people, but what's interesting is like they had the, the, the biggest failures came from Red Bull, you know, powered cars. And I wonder if like, if that change, if you just picked the wrong people to, to, to let go or pick the wrong people to, to, you know, be a part of it from the Red Bull side, because clearly there was not really these issues the last few seasons. And, and, you know, I'm just kind of, I guess maybe conspiracy theory theorizing a little bit with it, but to me, it's just one of those things where there's so many nuances of formula one and like being a constructor, being a, a you know, a, a Mercedes where you're building engines for everybody, you know, not everybody, but for a handful of teams on the grid, the same way Ferrari does 
Like you have an advantage in that you're going to get feedback from those other teams that you might not look at things the same way, right? But Red Bull is becoming more and more its own thing. And they've got to make sure that they don't miss the opportunity to have people give feedback. You know, I I don't know how that would work on a Formula One team. I've never been there in those positions, but I can't not think about it in a sense, if that makes any sense. No, what I was going to say on that Nick, was it's absolutely that, because I think we've heard of previous drivers. I think Ramon Grosjean was the one I can think of where he was renowned for giving the feedback back. And I'm really interested to see what that driver's session is going to be like from a Red Bull perspective and even an AlphaTauri perspective. This has probably been as big of a failure for that empire as we've seen, because you had arguably your least successful driver in terms of historic precedence salvage something. And even then, like it wasn't a convincing thing. And yeah, granted, when it rains, it pours. And we kind of touched on it earlier in the show that that Checo spin was a little too comical for it to be taken seriously but i don't know there's just this vibe right now and i'm really interested to see how they kind of write the ship because this is what a champion does a champion faces adversity and then they put their statement of intent down and i would expect red bull to be at the front and center of everything one thing i wanted to touch on that you guys kind of had chatted about previously and granted i was in and out so sorry about that how did you guys feel about Max's aggressive style? Because I thought this was the first time where I didn't see the aggressive Max come out other than that initial cat and mouse game with Charles where Charles kind of tamed him. He said, yeah, you want this space? Go for it. And then every time he would take it right away, it was almost like a big brother picking with a little brother because the analogy I can think of, this is when James Harden's step back threes weren't working for him. And then we realized this dude's pretty pedestrian, if not that. And granted, this is just one thing. And I think Max will write the ship, but this was jarring to see somebody that is as universally lauded for their aggressive racing style to be as neutralized in a big setting like the first Grand Prix of a season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's it's a really interesting question, but I think it was Max getting in his own way today when the car wasn't working and they didn't really understand what was going on. And the, the radio communication between Max and his engineer was like, his engineer's like super cool, calm, collected. And Max is like, no, tell me what the F is going on. Like you're, you're not giving me enough information. And I think that's what he got testy on there. But as far as his racing goes, yeah. Minus that few laps with, uh, that they were going bat battling back and forth. I think Max kind of resigned himself to be like, well, I can't keep this pace up eternally i'm gonna blow blow through my tires and they ended up stopping early just because of that battle that battle um back and forth but ferrari did too so i i didn't see the same desperation back to your original question that max normally would have like you know dive bombing or whatever but i i think he just they, they knew they were out class today so he was just trying to bring it home and then that steering uh thing happened whatever it was in the pit stop i think they may have dropped the car weird or something i saw that uh craig scarborough pointed out that the front trailing arm or something was bent they they, they somebody got a spy shot after after the race and that was bent but i wanted to jump back not to hijack your point rohit because we talked about it quickly the red bull failures on the engines so 
I, I posted this early earlier in the Discord, but the rumors are early. I, I heard or uh, read after a few hours after the race that the uh, fuel system was the the cause of the Red Bull failures. And then I saw a tweet by a, a guy that I follow who's a former Red Bull engineer. Um, and he said, ready for this one? If both Red Bull f- failures are the fuel pump, then get ready for the fireworks. The fuel pump is a standard part supplied to all teams by the FIA and the manufacturer Magneti Morelli. So if that's true, we could see engine pops going all over the place. Like that was pretty dangerous. We saw Pierre hop out of his car on fire, like literally with flames going up his butt. So we could see retirements left and right and not just Red Bull. It might not be a Red Bull thing. We don't know to your point, Nick, earlier, but it could be across across. I mean, if it's across the board, obviously that's going to be something that they're going to need to address across the board as well. Right. Like if we start seeing it with other teams. Um, but there's so many variables from team to team too, that you could imagine that, you know, where these things are placed, what other components are near them, how hot those components get, how airflow throughout the car changes from team to team. There's a lot of things that you could, that could impact how that fuel pump or whatever standardized part works. Right. Because there's just not there's just not consistency across all the teams for for how they are set up, right? Imagine driving a car, you know, with uh, no cooling, you know, no coolant in it, right? Some people would be able to drive the car for ten years without ever overheating the car. Other people would overheat the car before they got to the gas station, you know. Like it's just kind of the nature of of how cars work. But I think that you know, to the to the conversation around Max. I don't think he was less aggressive. I think he, I think that's his way of trying to understand where the engineers are coming from. He might not vocalize it very well, but you know, at the end of the day, he, he has to listen when they say, yo, this is going to, this is going to blow up in your face if you don't chill out a little bit. Right. Cause that was the conversation when he was trying to go at Leclerc really hard. It was like, Hey, the tires can only last one lap at attempting to pass. And sure enough, he's, you know, not, it wasn't even just like the two laps back to back. It was like, he was, he was riding his ass the next time around too, thinking about it again. And you're just like, you know, you just, sometimes you're not the fastest car on the track. You can't, you can't force that. And usually what happens with those types of people is they end up, I mean, crashing out or something, something bad happens to him, you know? And, Kind of, that's what happened today. No, I mean, as the second a member of my family jumps in my lap as I make this point, I will say this. Red Bull has essentially given Max keys to the kingdom. And it's almost now them kind of reaping the benefits of what they've sown, which is you've made this kid this tremendous race car driver, but you've also given him everything he's ever asked for. And now when he's being petulant because he's not getting his way, like, you kind of created this monster because it's one of those things that when we would watch the onboard sessions of Pierre Gasly, when he was on Red Bull, like you can see this man trying his damnedest to get something out of this car. And all you hear on the other end is just a cold, very isolating voice saying, just do better, Pierre, like figure this out. Why can't you figure this out? Compare and contrast that with Max, who no matter what he did, it was always 
sunshine and lollipops when it came from the radio on his end being like oh it's okay max you get the next one don't worry about it and now like you have this guy who rightfully so is a champion the reigning defending formula one champion but he also has to evolve alongside his car because if he thinks he's just gonna push his way into everything much like charles leclerc did to him on the track today eventually he's going to get tuned out by some of his audience and i don't think he will necessarily leave red bull because ultimately red bull racing is max verstappen racing but at the same time i do think that there are now certain chinks in the armor that make you think like is everything as sweet as it seems over there because this is feels a little bit bigger It is as long as he keeps winning, I think, is really the answer. True. But I mean, who is the next guy from the Red Bull driver perspe- uh, perspective? Because for all we've always heard about Red Bull is, oh, they've got this great collection of young driving talent, like probably the best in the entire sport. But it, it does say something that almost every successful Red Bull taught driver has done better when they are away from that main team. Pierre Gasly. I mean, you guys can probably clue me in on this because I didn't know this until fairly recently. Carlos Sainz was Max Verstappen's teammate at one point in Red Bull. And because Max didn't like how Carlos was pushing him, he led him to leave the team. Is that fair or am I just misreading something? No, I think the they were uh, teammates at Toro Rosso, which is the sister slash junior team uh, to Red Bull. And they were like truly a junior team at that time. But Carlos was in the team first, I believe. Or no, they actually they did they debuted together, and then when the main seat at Red Bull opened up, uh, Carlos got passed over for Max, and that caused Carlos to eventually look elsewhere. And he's been the team hopper since then. No, I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, it's like you think, you know, and then you hear these little rumblings. They're like, okay. Now, one thing I was going to ask, because I also was unaware of the beef that Charles Leclerc and Max had prior to this race. Like, I think that is also going to be a very tasty rivalry coming soon, especially if Charles' title credentials are to be believed. My question to you both is, on the spot, we've got the next race next Sunday, over under one and a half Ferraris on the podium. I think we'll see. I think I think Charles Leclerc will be on the on the podium again. I think he's I think he's gonna have like a you know I think he's gonna battle for for the championship. Um, I think the other thing that is probably worth noting he doesn't have the pressure. Like Max has to perform because he's he's the world champion. Like. He's got to back it up. I mean, that, that that's why he had the advantage last year is because Lewis was the world champion. And like even going into that last race, Max had the advantage because on paper he would have won if if both of them wrecked, right? So like uh, to me that that little bit of extra pressure is everything, right? And you know, that's why he's so vocal about his disappointments with the car and you know, I I think these guys have been working together for a long time. So they know what, what he says or what he means when he says things. And I think that after the race, there was a lot of, you know, he listed off a lot of things he was dealing with and yes, like there's issues with the steering and you know, all that, but like 
if you were to have not watched the race and just listened to Max after the race, you would think this guy was like in 15th place struggling to get to get the car back around, you know, to to finish. And that is absolutely not the case. So part of it, I think, is, you know, putting pressure on the team to deliver a better car. Part of it, I think, is playing up, you know, the same way that we talk about how Lewis plays up everything. And, you know, Charles and, and Carlos don't have to do that at all right now. They just got to go out there and race and have a good time. And like, you know, they no, look, nobody expected them to win the first race out. I mean, we, we didn't say anything about them winning the first race out. And yet probably we, we probably could have, you know, but still we expect Red Bull and Mercedes to be the battle. And I think even, even if they dip down into the, to the midfield at, at points throughout the season, we're still going to expect Mercedes and Red Bull because that's what we, that's what we saw the last, you know, however many years. So to me, like, I think Leclerc is going to be on the podium, you know, over under five or six times, you know, before the summer break. And I think, you know, Ferrari will be right up there competing through, through to the very end, if not winning the constructors championship. So. Nick, I must remind everybody of one Todd Yates and his hottest hot take, which was Ferrari would win the constructor's title. So right now, this man is sitting very pretty, so I will give him a chance to rebuttal, take a victory lap, whatever the hell you want to do, Todd, because clearly you were the oracle of all this. I think it's still, I mean, just write it down, sign the check. It's Ferrari constructor's champions. Like, we're not... We're not messing around anymore. They proved that not only is the car reliable, it's one of the fastest, if not the fastest. I think the the pairing of Charlos, as you coined a couple of uh, episodes ago, uh, Charlos is the best teammate pairing on the grid, and that like pace wise, they were right there. Like I know that there was a a gap. I think by the end of the race, there was probably a 20 second gap, but I was, I want to say there was probably a half second between them for the most of the race. Uh, back to your earlier question, Rohit, I'll take next race the over on that. I think it's going to be a Charles or Max in P1 and then the other two Ferraris. I think Mercedes has a lot of work to do still. They were gifted that P3, P4 today. That should have been uh p what five or six something like that um somewhere around there um they've got a lot of work to do and i think the only track right now that benefit looks like it might benefit them is monaco it, based on the car characteristics as it stands now i think we're looking at uh the first half of the year being uh a Red Bull and Ferrari show, which is kind of disappointing. I'd like a little bit of a mix up on the podiums there. Like I think earlier, Nick, you said you're going to see Leclerc on the podium six times. I wouldn't be surprised if it's all of them, not winning all of them, but like handful of P twos, handful of P threes, he's going to be there. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's looking pretty for, I think he is the faster driver out of the, the pairing. But I think he's looking pretty so for it. In I don't want to discredit World Championship fight. Uh, Todd's, uh, no, no. you know, Oracle uh, predictions. But Rohit, you weren't you weren't in the in the chat this morning for for the race. Julie hopped in with the hottest, most spot on take of all 
at about lap 40 or 41 said that Max is going to DNF. So if you want to, if you want to know the end of the race next weekend, maybe like 15 minutes ahead of time, you should probably join the discord. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to call her an Oracle. She is an amazing human being though. One of my best friends. So she's up there. You should probably join. <laughs> Julie, come on, exhaust notes. De de defend your status, or rather, project your status, because I think we could all use some lottery numbers. But that is—I—I I, I heard rumblings of such a prediction, but I chose not to believe it because I don't believe in the unthinkable. But I guess the unthinkable has happened. So kudos to you, Julie. She was even in there, like we're four or five laps in when I'm pissing and moaning about how bad McLaren looks, and she said, "No, Lando's going to get this back." Like she was hyping up good things were going to happen for for Lando early in the race. And then, as Nick mentioned, just out of nowhere, we were like not even really chatting. We we're just listening to the race. And then she said, you know what? Lando's going to finish ahead of Max. Max is going to DNF. And I was like, we all laughed kind of like, OK, this is funny because Lando's <laughs> in P14 right now or whatever. Yeah. Hitting the sauce a little early, Julie. Uh, just kidding. I love you. Uh, but yeah, she just called it. And then sure enough, like six laps to go or what? God, I don't even know. Maybe two laps ago, whatever it was. But you did say earlier, uh, two laps ago, I think Max's engine blew or whatever. Uh, but that spin that you mentioned earlier, Rohit, I thought that was a super comical spin by Checo as well. But it turns out the reason he spun is because his engine died and the wheels locked. So you're, you're going for a ride no matter what. You're just you're a passenger at that point. So little credit to, to Checo. I mean, he had a little bit of a rough day keeping up on that front pack, but yeah. Now I will say, uh, I think it was uh, Crofty who said Checo has the most sensitive right foot in the world. And that's why he's the best at tire management. And that's just stuck in my mind for the rest of the day. And I was like, that's how sensitive is my right foot? Like, can I just have Checo like put a pillow over my face and just press on it gently? And like what Matt and now we've kind of bordered into OnlyFans territory. So we will end there, I guess, in a sense. But Nick, give me your podiums because I don't uh, think you got you mean for next race. For yes, sir. I'm going to go. I'm going to say it's going to be Charles, Max, and Lewis. Todd, on the record. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, P1, Charles, P2, Max, P3, uh, Carlos, and uh, honorable mention to P4, Magnuson. I'd love to see that. The great Magnuson revival continues, according to Todd Yates. I will go with Max 1, Lando 2. And Charles three. <laughs> that flight must have really taken a toll on you because I am dripping snot right now. I'm you know what? You're going to carry me like Pippin carried Jordan if I'm right. And that's going to be the cover art for next week. But yeah, I'm not really thinking too clearly. So that's why I'm like, please, let's end this episode so I can sleep. I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to put my skin where your crazy prediction is. If Lando gets P on the podium next next week, 
I'll get a McLaren logo tattoo on me somewhere. I, I don't want you to do that. I, I mean, like I have amazing. a lot of dumb tattoos, so what's one more? But <laughs> sure, okay. I'll do that. I was hoping we were going to touch on on the, the FIA released uh, the report sure. about Abu Dhabi, and I was hoping we were going to touch on that. Maybe we'll try to do an off off scheduled bonus pod sometime this week and talk about it because I think it really had some interesting points in there. Yeah, we could definitely do that. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Yep. All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure catching up. Good to see you both. Let everybody know where they can find you outside of the Exhaust Notes podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Roheasy, on Instagram at RoadM13, and in these streets out in Portland, Oregon. You can find me on Instagram at TYeezy, on Twitter at HackJandy11. Come follow me. I need some followers on Twitter there. And later you'll find me crying in the corner about Team Papaya. (laughs) You can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. Uh, more importantly, follow at Exhaust Notes FM on all the platforms and hit the first link in the description to join us on Discord so we can chop it up and talk about all these ongoing happenings throughout the week because the three of us will definitely be in there talking about it with the rest of the crew. Write a review as well. Exactly. We need your reviews. Thanks, everybody, for rocking with us. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Don't get a tattoo.